0: Hey guys, Dr. Justin here. This is brought to you during the coronavirus, so we have another special episode—a coronavirus episode. Uh, we have Ryan Hager, who is a golf professional, a PGA instructor who works at Plainfield Country Club right there in Edison, New Jersey. Ryan has been in the industry for a few years now, and what I really enjoy about Ryan first is is meeting him through Instagram. Uh, he gives out some really great content on his, on his website, which we talk about. And I think he's just someone who, what I got from him and I talked to him about in the podcast was someone who's just put the work in. So he is a guy who has worked in New Jersey, works in Florida. He's hooked himself up with the right people and had some great mentors. And, you know, one of the themes here, obviously we talk about golf, but I think just a nice life lesson here is, um, no job is ever too small. So, here's a guy Ryan who goes to school to work in golf and you know he gets internships and and different opportunities where quite frankly the job description early on was to like clean up the driving range and and take the trash out and and what I think is amazing is at no point did he say oh I'm too good for that and because of that I think that's why he's been as successful as he has so early so we go through a lot of that I hope this episode finds you well um if you need anything, we are here. My email, drjustin at strive to move.com. And also we talk about Ryan's contact info who um, is giving lessons now at uh, Plainfield Country Club. So I hope you enjoy.
1: This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move Located in Warren and Berkeley Heights, Strive to Move helped active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love, pain-free. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, Justin, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you and I met via basically Instagram, and, and I've been starting my quarantine podcasts by kind of saying that even though we're quarantined and like isolated, it's also allowed us to make connections that we may not have made otherwise. So I think it's, uh, if there's a silver lining, this is one of them. And uh, so being able to connect with you uh, is, is a great thing. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about who you are, where you're from and what you do. Sure.
2: Um, so yeah, Ryan Hager, I'm actually in my parents' place in Rochester, New York right now. That's where I grew up. I uh, went to high school up here. I uh, eventually went to college at Penn State, and then after that, moved out to, to New Jersey. Um, kind of fell into golf. I was playing on the high school hockey and golf teams and working at a local country club just to make some money. Met a kid who was um, an intern at the club I was working at. He happened to be going to Penn State. Um, talked to him a little bit about that, and I ended up in their PGM program, and that was the uh, kind of the only school I ended up applying to. Yep. Um, and then through that program, um, there's 20 of them across the country. Well, 18 now. Yep. Uh, I think they're all formatted the same way, where you have to do five internships. So I worked every summer. The first one I went home, and then after that, I decided I want to I want to get out of here and kind of see something new, and um, didn't want to go to.
1: Just talk. A, I, we can take this out. Just talk a little uh, louder. Okay, sorry. I can move this closer to get that. <clears throat> we'll um, start over that. I want to just just repeat that. And we'll take it out. So as far as your internships and all that.
2: Okay. Um, so after the first summer at home, I decided I wanted to try something new. Um, go somewhere else, see a different, you know, different area. Uh, didn't exactly want to go to, you know, a different country or all the way to California. So I figured I'd look somewhere in the five to seven hour range from home and i ended up in new jersey Um, a connection from penn state kind of put me at plainfield actually so i did an internship there Um, i met a guy who was the the director of instruction at the time his name was wes mensing and i thought teaching seemed pretty cool because i had i had had a sort of a taste of the rest of what a golf pro does and i wasn't loving it i liked i liked playing a lot um and I, I liked being involved in tournaments, but I didn't love folding shirts and, uh, you know, some of the, you know, pace of play, yelling at people on the course to play, <laughs> that, that stuff didn't really appeal to uh, you, get me up in the morning, right, so I, I tried to cling to this guy as much as I could, um, learn from him, and, and try to, like, you know, maybe start tailoring my career after that, and that's where I got connected to the Jim McLean Golf School. Um, I worked for Jim for a couple of years. Wes actually tragically passed away. He was killed in a, a car accident.
1: I, I remember, out. you know, I, I didn't know Wes's name, but I remember being from this area that, you know, a younger guy that worked at Plainfield, you know, because I, I had a patient at the time who was taking lessons, and I remember the kid was, like, devastated.
2: Yeah, it, it was it was tragic. He was – I actually still wear a wristband, worn it for the last six years um yeah it was tragic he was 27 and a bright mind and a kind of an inspiring guy he would do like mission trips to South America and volunteer for all kinds of different programs just to help people out and um you know it was it was sad but he was he was a big inspiration to me and kind of showed me how how cool I think teaching is, at least to me, I know it's not for everybody, but I really like found it interesting. So yeah. he kind of got me I don't know. I hadn't even taken a lesson until I met him. Like is I, that I,
0: right? yeah, so,
2: I,
1: so, so talk me through that. So you go, you play high school golf, you play high school hockey as like a, you know, a normal athlete, you go to the PGM program at Penn state and then you're going through the program and learning how to, you know, be in the golf business. But to that point, you never even took a lesson.
2: No. Um, I don't know. I wasn't even, like my dad gave me a little, he essentially told me, look, you hit down on your irons and you hit up on your driver. Yeah. You figure it out from there. Um, yep. I watched a lot of golf. Like I, like I said, I was, I played every sport other than like football Yep, growing up. So I, i was kind of athletic. I was never the best player on the team, but it all kind of came to me and then um golf I would say I was a fast learner and kind of like through trial and error figured some stuff out. I have a I don't know, the way my brain works. I like to figure that kind of thing out like, you know, dig it out of the dirt sort of like Hogan used to do and um so yeah, I just I, I don't know. I I guess I figured it out fast. I went from kind of never playing golf to playing once or twice to making the JV team to making the varsity team. And then, um, yeah. And never having taken a lesson, I just played and played and played and played and played. I was around professionals, but I never really thought of them as someone I needed. (laughs) Sure. Uh, And I, I kind of got better and better. I watched a lot of golf, like I said, and tried to pick up on what pros did. And then, um, when I got to school, so the PGM program has, like, 120 kids in it. Um, all, you know, uh, it's a it's a bit of a range. There's really good to someone who shoots, like, 85. Like, and you're expected to go from the kid who shoots 85 to improving so that you can pass what's called the play uh, player ability test. Yeah. It's like 36 holes, shoot a certain score. Um in order to pass this playing test. Then there's tests for all kinds of other things. Um, so you're expected to improve as you go. But I, I don't know. I was on the better end of the spectrum, I guess, when I arrived at school and um, I, I really, I, like I said, I wasn't amazing in in, in high school. I got a lot better in college because now I was playing in tournaments against all of my peers on a weekly basis. Um I was, Driven to play well in those because we got paid cash, so that was essentially my beer money. And I tried to, you know, avoid getting a job in college by playing as well as I could in, in those tournaments. Um, yep. And uh, ended up, I actually ended up winning the Player of the Year there four years in a row. And like, I so so like it's basically that. a
1: tournament but, at Penn State against your peers. Yes. Got it.
2: Okay. We have thirty-six holes at Penn State. Uh, we would sort of bounce back and forth on the two golf courses each week we'd play eighteen holes for one tournament sometimes we 'd have majors that were thirty six so we 'd play both days of the weekend yeah um, and yeah, it was just kind of the the pot was divvied up based on the top ten and i don't know it wasn't like a lot if you made hundred twenty dollars that was a that was a big week, but that not goes along i 'm not giving it back right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm Uh, curious,
1: at that point, because the PGM, you guys are not part of the college golf team. At that point, when you were a player of the year at Penn State, how would you have fared against the NCAA golfers, you think?
2: I looked at that a lot. So (laughs) this is a sore subject for me. You're not allowed to play on the team if you're in that program.
1: So that's funny because, and and I'll, I'll let you get back, but Bova, who I had on the podcast, who you know, the reason why, and I, I never knew any of this. The reason why he went to the school he went to was because it was D three, and their season mm-hmm. ended short enough where he could still do his PGM internships um, and still be able to play and say golf. Which you know, again, I had no idea. So yeah, yeah you tell me. There's a chance.
2: handful of there's a handful of those programs that that you can. Um, like I, I was saying before, like I, I kind of found out about this whole PGM thing late. I was planning on going to school for accounting mm-hmm. just because I was good at math and my mom's an accountant, actually teaches it in college. So yep. I figured that easy thing to do. And um, I was like, you know, summer between junior and senior year figured out that this golf thing existed. So I went to Penn State because it was the closest school to home. Yeah, It's like three hours, 15 minutes from here. So the rest of them are in like the Carolinas and South of that or Ferris state, which is in Michigan, I think. So yes. they're all a ways away. So I didn't go there with aspirations of playing college golf at all. If, if somehow I could have gotten like a, a shot at trying out, I 100% would have done it, but they're strictly recruiting. And uh, I guess you get a big red X on you if you're in the PGM program. So at, I guess back in the day like 10 years ago or so they used to do a tournament between the golf team and the pgm program and i guess we won a couple of them so the coach was like we're not doing this anymore
1: really is that right
2: yeah. yeah at the time though i think uh based just on the scores if you look at it just scores yeah. of the penn state courses i would have started a bunch of tournaments there because a lot of the guys were you know the guy fifth or sixth guy fourth or fifth guy was shooting like. Eighty, at least one of the tournament days, and barely breaking it the other ones. So yeah, th- towards the end though they were ranked. They were like twenty first in the country at one point, and they were they really cleaned things up and were playing pretty well. So that it kind of progressed as I was there. But at the beginning, I was like, man, I would really love a chance to do this and some finally like figuring this whole golf thing out. But
1: yeah, well, it's it's so interesting. And I I was a baseball player in college, and I always there was a part of me that always loved um, the sports where it was, you didn't have to not compete against someone else, but where like you could just shoot a score or run a time or swim a time because there's no, uh, there's very little like, oh, well, you know, you hit 350, but the pitching sucked. You know, when you're playing golf, you're playing the same courses as Phil Mickelson, essentially. And if you're playing from the same tees and it's kind of like, you can really see how, how you do compared to the pros or in your case, the D one athletes, which I think makes golf specifically a little bit more of a, uh, very much like it's on you, you know, your score. If you shot, you know, 96 at this course today and 87, like that's It doesn't matter the pitcher. It doesn't matter the, whatever, you know, you, you kind of know
2: for sure. And I think that's definitely something that, that pulled me towards golf. Cause I, like, I loved competing in hockey. I love, you know, I have a pond in my backyard and, and it freezes over in the winter. In Rochester, it always freezes over in the wintertime. Yeah. So time. like pond hockey and it's a huge part of my life. But the the idea of like causing a turnover and having a goal scored, on like letting a team down always crushed me. So yeah. like that always bothered me. When it got to golf, like it's just you. And I really loved that. The fact that like, you know, your success or your lack thereof is only on you and I, I really like enjoyed the sort of internal competition there trying to you know shoot your new best score ever or you know things like that just learn from mistakes try to miss it better than the time before and um yeah just the the sort of i guess internal motivation there
1: that yeah sort of worked with me it's it's all it's all on on you at that point where have you uh if you had to look back to let's say when you first started the pgm program of your swing and analyze it have you made a lot of changes um or because you know you were a relatively good golfer compared to Mm -hmm. now like where are you compared to where you used to be um
2: yeah i would say I, i i actually was looking the other day at the oldest video of me I have on my phone and it's changed dramatically. Yeah. Um, I would say my more than anything, my body's changed the most. Like I went from hockey shape where I was in, you know, a relatively decent shape, to like I gained the freshman 15 for sure. And like my first video on here is from freshman year. And I'm like, oh my god, I looked like that. Like no wonder my swing looked like that kind of thing. And and I've gotten you know, in a better shape. I like to work out and um, take care of myself and eat right. And so like my, I look very different now than I did, you know, that year of college. So from, you know, just a posture and a speed perspective, it's very, very different. But yeah, I mean, once I met Wes, I started paying attention to like, a little more of the I guess the positions that I was in when I was swinging, and um, I tried to kind of learn, like, okay, when I do this, the ball does that. And I yep. I went from basically slinging a huge draw on every single shot to trying to learn how to hit a fade. That was like my golf was trying to somehow start it left and fade it back to the target because I felt like that was more repeatable. This hook just like it turned into a two way miss when I wasn't playing well, and yeah. Um, It just, I didn't like seeing it go left ever, it kind of losing it a little to the right tended to fare better for me than, than anything like low and left and long. And none of that worked all that well. So I tried to re-engineer things and um, I started taking lessons. I started learning about what makes the ball fade versus draw. And I got kind of obsessed with like ball flight laws and, you know, that all was so interesting to me.
1: Right. Right, so go back to the weight thing, and the reason why I ask is, well, two reasons. The first one is, you know, I, I going through the TPI and talking to Dave Phillips, who's friends mm-hmm. with Phil Mickelson. He's talked about how recently, since Phil's gotten in better shape, it's like it, he hasn't figured his his swing back out because he's a, it's a different player now. He's twenty pounds less, um, and and the reason why I ask is because we're we're you know I work over at Fiddler's Elbow, and we have a group there, and one of the guys there has recently lost like 25 pounds and he's actually a lefty and he's had the exact same because he cannot figure out where the ball goes now. And it's almost like, talk about why that actually matters. Like how much weight you have, or if someone, you know, the average club golfer is 55 and for health reasons loses 30 pounds. That's great. But what can it do to your swing?
2: Sure. Uh, I know Carl Pedersen and Jason Duffner kind of went through the same thing. They both gotten into significantly better shape. They lost weight whether they were in actual better shape or taking some diet pill, I don't know, but um, you know, they lost a lot of weight and they kind of lost their games. Carl Peterson, way more than Jason Duffner. I don't know if you re- remember that name, yeah. but he was a staple on tour for a while. And then he must've lost 30 pounds. And he had a huge gut and then he lost it and, you know, couldn't find a fairway. Couldn't shoot under 80. It seemed like. So I don't know. Maybe it's like, seems like it's guys. almost like the
1: way they create power versus creating more speed um, seems to, and then, and then that affects, obviously their timing right. and all that stuff.
2: I think, you know, if you kind of learn to play the game at a certain weight, you kind of learn how to use your weight to generate power, whether it's like, you know, some kind of squat into the ball or even, I mean, a lot of players slide into impact. And and if you've got a lot of weight behind it, maybe you can move it faster and, you know, just be consistent like that. You also might gain some new range of motion. Yeah. I think that could definitely be part of it. If you're kind of a thicker chested guy and you lose a bunch of weight and all of a sudden your left arm can, can sort of freely move around in here. Yeah. I think that could totally screw you up. It's like, well, now I can't stop my left arm from doing something that it didn't do before. And you, you, you know, get stuck and hit a hook or something like that. So I think just the change in the, the how much mass you have would definitely affect like, yeah. I mean, you look at, you look at really skinny, lanky kids. Yeah. They can do stuff that, nobody can do it's unbelievable the way they move like I teach this this girl Mia and she's she came to me in the first lesson she's like look I'm like hyper flexible with my arms I know this I'm not sure what I can do about it just want you to be aware of that and I look at her swing and it's like oh my like I think of my I would dislocate my shoulder in the yes. downswing if, if I did what she does yeah. and it's just amazing the way that she can like pin her arm to her chest and but she's she doesn't have a lot of arm strength so, so she can't really not do that you know yeah. so it's i think it's interesting you look at that person versus you know john daly's son who's you know a little thicker stronger like they just they're never going to swing the same way there's right. just no
1: way well i think um as i've seen more golfers the the it's almost uh, opposites in that the average club golfer 50 60 years old lacks the mobility and flexibility generally whether that's because of like the 30 years of sitting and lack of movement that they've done or um just like that's how they were born but the, the youth golfers or like if I profiled, I guarantee if we got the top 25, 30 and, and TPI backs us up, so I'm not saying anything that they haven't done already, profiles of the best players in the world, those guys are on the hypermobile side and you know i know they always talk about rory like when he had back pain growing up you'd think oh because his back was tight well it's actually the opposite he was too loose and he just couldn't figure out a control all of it and he was able to get himself in such positions which allows him to create force and generate speed and it's almost like pulling back a rubber band extra um, which is good until the rubber band kind of snaps Um, but if, if i had to choose and i'm sure if you had to choose you'd rather have someone that has the range of motion and figure out how to like kind of bring them in versus the other way where, you know, someone like in my profile who is like maybe a little tighter, it's, it's hard to get into certain positions. Definitely. And
2: I, I, like you said, I teach the average club golfer, <clears throat> not exclusively, but that's about 85, 90% of my clientele is the age range you were just talking to between, I'd say more like 40 and 70 and they all work at a desk and yeah. You know, they have a lot of the same tightnesses and, and end ranges of motion and a lot of them hit the same kinds of shots. And it was very interesting. I thought it was a cool project to work with this girl, Mia, because she's so far the opposite. She took so many lessons. Like she was, this was more of a coaching situation than it was a, you know, a one-off lesson with a 20 handicap who just wants to, you know, a band-aid fix that they can use for the rest of the season and try, yeah. you know, play a little better like that. So it was definitely cool working with someone with like you were just saying, like that elite level range of motion or actually even past that. Um, and and you know I, I learned a lot working with her that I would never have learned, you know, only teaching the average club golfer. And I mean I, I definitely think that people have a hard time moving most of the time. Like for the most part, people suck at moving. Like they, they they're just not very good. But if you, if you can kind of like, I I heard George Gankus say this on one of his videos recently and, and, you know, I don't drink the whole bottle of Kool-Aid, I guess, when it comes to, you know, teachers who are very passionate about a certain style or method whatever, but I, I like a lot of his stuff. And he, he was saying like, you know, it's not that you can't move in certain ranges or directions or amounts generally people can move if you set them up in a way that allows them to to do so and for the most part when you bend someone over and try to get them into adam scott's posture you know maybe they won't be able to do that but if you get them closer to standing straight up and down you know they might have a little more hip mobility or you know, if you let them extend a little bit with their T-spine, like maybe they can turn a little bit more. And I think, you know, there's no, there's certainly no one way to teach everybody, but if you find a way to allow a person to move better right then and there, I think, I think that that's possible. I do think it is good to work on your body and see people like yourself and try to, you know, improve that stuff to, to be more athletic in your swing and, um, you know, I generally think people are going to swing towards the path of least resistance. Like, if there's some kind of pain or some kind of like way that they can't go, they're never going to go there unless they fix it. So you got you got to spend some time away from the course and and work on that stuff. But I do think like everybody can you know improve the way they move in an hour lesson. It might be a little weird, but I think you can do it. You, you just have to change you know the way that you're. Joints are aligned and things like that. And I think, I think people can make those changes
1: on the spot. How do you approach those one-off, one-hour lessons? I'm thinking, um, you know, for what I do. And we always try to avoid people coming in for that one-off, you know, one-time session because, you know, in your world, what you do and what I do is basically the same thing. Yours happens to be mm-hmm. trying to put a ball in a hole. My thing is get people more range of motion, get them out of pain. But we're teaching people to move, creating body awareness these type of of things and we try to avoid that one-off session with people for no other reason than we know that to change mechanics to to teach people something it takes time and sometimes you almost do them more harm by giving a one-off session because you start the process but you never actually fix it right and so Mm -hmm. as I think about um, like in our world That's the equivalent of someone coming to us that went to get a massage for their lower back and the next day their back pain's worse because they loosened up their back, but they never replaced it with core strength, right? So in your world, how do you approach someone that, you know, might want that one-off lesson where if you start giving them more rotation, well, the next thing is now they're going to, their timing is totally screwed up and they start snap hooking or whatever they might do. um, I, I just think about it and cringe in my own head, but I have to imagine in your world, it could be, it could be, you could, it could be real bad, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. And and the last thing I want is, you know, negative press. <laughs> I don't want people saying Ryan ruined my, my game. So I, I am careful about that. Um, I like, I try to ask, like, you have to ask the person's goals. Like if, if they're coming to you and they're like. Look, I just, all all I want is a swing thought that I can kind of use for the rest of the year. I'm not trying to, you know, go from a 10 to a zero. I just want to not hit it in the woods on number 13. Like that's all I care about. So, okay, the woods are on the right. Here's something you could do that'll make you not miss it. Right. not going to fix it forever, but on that hole, maybe if you could trigger this thought, it might help you keep your ball in play. And if you get someone's goals right out of the gate, I think that that'll help a lot with making a plan for them. Like I have tons of members at Plainfield that will openly tell me like, look, I'm not going to practice. These are going to be the only balls I hit all year. I like to show up. I get a cocktail as my warm up, and I go to the first tee. Yeah. Why do I hit it on the heel though? And I'll be like, well, you know, whatever it is you're you're super inside out or you're early extending and your whole body goes towards the ball or whatever and once they at least know if they hit it on the heel they have some kind of idea of how to make a little change while they're playing rather than just having no idea doing something that might make it worse and then you know the round is ruined they might be able to salvage something because i told them an idea so you know, I, I try to get that all on the table in the first lesson. So I know their expectations. Yeah. And then I try to give them mine. I'm like, look, if you're not going to practice, here's how you can do this. Like for those kinds of people, I'll usually take their glove and I put like a big red dot on it. I'm like, anytime you do that, That bad thing that you don't like doing. Look at the red dot and remember this one thing. Like you don't have to do it all the time, but that can be like a. Oh yeah, right. Ryan told me this. That's you know I just did the thing I hate. What did Ryan say? And then you know they can kind of come back to that without ever having to practice it. You know whether they sometimes they can write a word there. The you know the glove is an easy way to do that because it's something you use every round. You can write on it. You can draw on it. There's no rule against that. so that's a, that's kind of what I do with people that I know are never going to practice. They're only going to take the one lesson. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, with those people, for the most part, they are members. And we're a members-only club. We bring guests to play. But, like, I see the same people all the time, whether they're there for a lesson or not. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, if it's a gym perspective, like, if you see a personal trainer one time and you just want, like, you know, some new workout you can do or something like that. But you still keep going to the gym because you're a member of that gym. Like you, you can still cross paths and sure. connect to that person and the, Hey, how's your game going? Did that thing work? Is it any better? And like, maybe I'm not, uh, getting them back in the door for a lesson every day, but they're going to come back every year maybe. And I get the one lesson I keep the relationship. Um, so I, you know, the one offs aren't my favorite, but uh, they're hard. They're yeah, it, you can't you can't approach them the same way. It's not yeah. it's not really like a coaching opportunity. It's just you're putting a band-aid on it
1: and right um, hoping it doesn't come. Talk on. to me about your experience, uh, Jim McLean. You know, world renowned teacher. Yeah, um, I, I I actually think as I and as I started to talk to more of you guys doing what you do, you guys literally live the retired life. You go to the warm weather for <laughs> six know. months, and then you come back to the Northeast for another six months. It's uh Is it as good as it seems or is this rough trying to have to move every six months?
2: Well, when you're 20, what was I? 22. Yeah. I mean, I was like the youngest snowbird in the country (laughs) at the time. It's nuts. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's kind of like when you're entering the industry, if, if you don't want to just collect unemployment, you have to do it. it. Yeah. It's really rare to come across a 12 month job when you're, 22, 23 in golf. So yeah, I, uh, like I said, I met that guy, Wes, when he, uh, passed away, the, the guy who, um, stepped in to become the new director of instruction was a guy named Joe Compatello. Um, also a Jim McLean guy worked for Jim for nine years. I think Joe is now the the head golf professional at Indian Creek in Miami, which is an unreal place. It's like, mm-hmm just the CEOs of fortune 500 guys. Amazing. So Jim's network holds a lot of weight. He's really well connected and amazing. So I'm like, all right, I want to learn how to teach, but I also got to get involved with this guy. I got to meet him. He's got to know my name. Um, you know, I, I was obsessed with getting in the door with Jim. Um, so I asked Joe, I was like, look, this is what I want to do. I want to be a teacher one day. I want to learn from, great instructors that's my you know that's my plan and I want to start my career with with Jim so what do I have to do and he's like all right I'll make some calls so a guy named Grayson Zacher is the director of instruction for Jim Um, Jim's got like nine golf schools worldwide and Grayson's the overall director of instruction of all of them but he's at Jim's headquarters which at the time was Doral yeah so I had an interview with Grayson um, to be an assistant for the golf school Uh, the way the school works is there's roughly 20 to 24 instructors. There's different levels of instructor. So you start out as a certified, then you become a master, then a lead master, and then there's gym. So lead master is the best you can be. Uh, your, your lesson fee goes up as you get better and X, Y, and Z. And then there's a team of like five to eight assistants. And the assistants do things like set up the range every day, keep it clean all day long. You're going to do point of sale and appointment scheduling with students. Um, You'll, you know, update the website, all kinds of odds and ends. You're an assistant, right? Right. You're you're making the school run. So I was like, I want to do that. Because when you're an assistant, you also go through Jim's certification, which is wild. It takes six full months to get it all done. I uh, might be in my parents' house somewhere. I had a binder with about 300 pages of work in it that I did. It was essentially like a thesis, like this thick three ring binder that you turn in has hours and hours of lesson observation, uh, golf school observations, book reports, um, swing studies just uh, it's like this immense collection of information that, that you you do and then you have to take a written test you have to uh record yourself presenting things and put it on youtube you have to um video yourself giving a couple of lessons doing clinics and it's just this and like when you're done you're ready like there, yeah. this is the most hardcore certification that I've ever heard of. And at the same time, you're working this ridiculous schedule. So as an assistant, you get four days on, three days off every week. Um, when you work, you, you're there at 6 a.m. and you leave around 7 p.m. You work the whole day. Yep. On your days off, that's the only time you can really do this certification. So you're there anyways. You end up having to help with some stuff. And you're, you're grinding on all this bookwork. So it's essentially a never-ending job. So I apply for that. I interview for that. And I get one of those positions. Um, now, as I was driving to Miami, I had never been there before in my life. I'm driving there from Rochester. So it's like 25 hours. And I'm, I'm on 95 heading south. And I get a call from Joe. And he said, uh, hey, Jim's personal assistant just decided or was promoted to uh, an instructor. His name's Tyler and one of my best friends. And uh, he was like, do you want to be Jim's assistant? Not just an assistant. Do you want to be Jim's assistant? You'd be with Jim for all of his lessons, um, doing heavy lifting, recording videos for him. You know, you're his guy. I was like, well, I mean, absolutely. Yes. What do I have to do? He's like, "Uh, let me look into it. I'll call you back. So I'm thinking I'm going to Miami. I'm going to get three days off a week, you know, maybe grind for one of them and have two real days off a week. And then I get a call back and he's like, okay, you're Jim's assistant for the winter. I was like, awesome. <laughs> thank you. And then I, he hung up the phone. I started thinking like, what did I just do? Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> and so I get it. there, I moved in, I went to work the first day for like an orientation just to like see everything. Meet Jim. Who's like this white knight on the range. Like it, <laughs> the most intimidating guy you can meet until he really gets to know me. He is intimidating, but he's just the greatest. And, uh, so I meet Jim, they give me some uniforms to wear. I go home and I show up for work the next day at 6am and that was November 10th. I didn't get a day off until my birthday on January 14th. So I wow. worked 64 days in a row on all those holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's. It was the hardest job I've ever had, but I watched Jim teach like six hundred hours of lessons. Was
1: Jim teaching every every single one of those every days? single
2: day. So, Jim I was so, there when Jim was there. The only reason I got my birthday off is because Jim was out of town.
1: So you're telling me complete, that this guy as as successful as he's been, I mean he grinds with the best of them.
2: Oh my god, he was seventy this is the craziest story ever. So he's seventy-ish years old. He might have been sixty-nine that that winter. And when I met him, he was hitting balls and I walked up behind him to shake his hand. And he just had me start cleaning his clubs as he was going. And we were, he had track man up and he was swinging his driver like 109 at 69 years old, pounding it. They were going free. He was hitting a two iron that he just got from PXG that was going like 260 on some of them. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. He was a great player. Like a month into working for him he fell down a flight of cement stairs, like a long flight of cement stairs and like broke his wrist and had to have the same fusion surgery that tiger had He destroyed his back. So Jim didn't play for like three years after that happened. So it was like, I couldn't believe it. It was mortifying. And that was in the middle of the day when he was teaching these lessons. Like I said, he wears this like white long sleeve shirt, big white hat, sun hat, um, every single day, basically. So he goes to lunch, falls down these stairs. I'm setting up the next lesson. He shows up like 20 minutes late. and I'm like, Jim, where are you? He's like, don't worry about it. And he puts his arm up and it's just covered in blood. I'm like, Oh my God, what happened? He's like, ah, I fell down some stairs. I'm all right. So he teaches like four more hours of lessons, goes home, cancels the whole next day. Cause he has to go to the doctor. Comes in the day after that with a cast, he broke his wrist. And then he, he like had this giant back brace on. And had to go to like pt for forever and then in the summer he had the surgery done he taught like essentially with a broken back for six months it was incredible yeah to say he works hard is is a joke the guy is like the most obsessed passionate just hardest working guy i've ever i've ever met i've taken so much just from that like right that story, I think is like holy cow he, like right. he'll teach till the day he he dies there's right. he'll never retire he just doesn't have that in him
1: yeah it, it's amazing that's incredible and how long yeah. have you been now at Plainfield quite a few years now, huh?
2: yeah, I started at Plainfield as an intern um I did a three month internship in 2014 um, and that was uh yeah, that was the first of like five years in a row. And then I got an opportunity. I I kind of like every year. So the first year I was like the little kid on the staff, I was working in the golf shop, doing odds and ends things. The next year I got like bumped up and I was doing the nine holer ladies. So that was a promotion. Yeah. And then the year after that, um, still was like the nine holers, but I had some other added, you know, thing that felt like a promotion they were all upwards moves i did that for five or four years and then uh yeah i misspoke it was four seasons and then i went down to work for gym i went back to playing field the winter after that i went back to gym and i was like all right if i go back it's going to be kind of a lateral move i'm going to be doing the same things maybe i should start looking at some other stuff so um i started thinking about that i'm like okay I'm probably I'm, I'm still, I was 23 looking for something better than a, a second assistant job at a top 100 club. So I'm like, yeah. okay, this is going to be kind of hard to figure out. I might not get a teaching professional job or a first assistant job, but I need a a different position that's going to make me better. That's going to give me connections that I'm going to learn. So I started like thinking about that and I'm like, okay, where could I go? And at the time, they were hiring a new head pro at Baltusrol, just which is essentially just down the street. And, sure, that's you know, they're about 20 minutes apart. Yeah, um, I looked at a couple of other jobs too, but this new guy they hired is great, and um, he actually just left uh, for family reasons to go back to Indiana. Jason Carbone was the director of instruction. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, if I go there, I'm going to try to get a job where I can teach a lot, um, where I can learn a lot. And where I just attach myself at the hip to Carbone and watch yeah. him and take lessons, and so that's what I did. I I went to Baltasar. The way they divide up their assistant pros is basically there's a head honcho, first assistant. His name is Jan Merkin. And then after that, there's five more assistants, and they all have their own kind of. It's very compartmentalized. So, I got the job as the um, junior golf director, which is. Essentially, I named my terms with uh, Ryan, the head pro, and I was like, look, I want to come here, but I'm dying to teach. I want the job where I can teach the most. If that's, you know, the ladies golf person doing 18-holers, I want that. If it's something else, I want that. He's like, well, you will probably teach the most if you do junior golf. So I said, great, sign me up. So I ran a junior golf program with like 150 kids in it all summer and taught like crazy and Essentially, when I was teaching all the kids, the parents wanted lessons, so I started teaching the parents, and I mean, there's like 2,000 members at Balti with families, so there's a lot to go around, and Carbone teaches like a madman. He basically shows up at 8 and leaves at 6 and just doesn't have any breaks, so it's like a factory with all this stuff going on, and it was great being there. Like, I I really enjoyed it. The staff was awesome. I made some good friends and learned a lot, but I, I took as much as I could from Jason, because he's just a genius. It's amazing to to watch him teach, especially with how much technology they have there. It's yeah. like it's like fairy tale land in in that performance center where they've got uh, Sam Putt Lab and Putt View, and I think they have like six TrackMan now and two other simulators. And <laughs> there's six short game areas. There's a, just the biggest range you could ever want, and you, it's like the greatest place ever Facilities 36 of holes of championship golf and, and this elite practice facility. So, it was so cool working there. And
1: yeah,
2: um, I learned so much from Jason and, and uh, I had every intention of going back there to do the exact same thing again. Uh, although, it, you know, like I was saying, I wanted to move up every year. I was so happy. Like I was like, I can make this better. Like I can make the program stronger. I can engage sure. more kids. I can teach more parents. I can, uh, you know, play better. I can play more. I can, you know, do all this stuff. And then, uh, in the middle of the winter, like February, actually I heard of, I was at the waste management. Mm -hmm. My friends and I decided to go out there. So I'm out in Arizona and I get a call from Scott Paris, my old boss at Plainfield. And he was like, uh, Joe was thinking about leaving. He he had just had a baby, so the teaching pro life was a little too unpredictable. Because you know you could have lessons at nine and ten a.m. and then nothing, and expect sure. to get out of there at two in the afternoon, and someone books you at seven p.m. and all of a sudden you're there till eight o'clock. So it's like you have a baby that doesn't work all that well. So he wanted a head pro job. So he decided to go to Oakmont,
1: mm-hmm.
2: became an assistant there, and that springboarded him into the job he is now. So this DOI position at Plainfield opened. And I was like, I have to get, this is like, this could never happen again. I don't know what, you know, what the future holds, but to have this opportunity is, feels like once in a lifetime and I'm 20, 25 years old. So I'm like, I'm going to do everything I can to to get this thing. And Scott calls me. He's like, just a heads up. This is probably going to happen. It wasn't official. He's like, get everything you need ready and we're going to figure this out. So um, about a week later, I was done with my like portfolio. I had sent it to my mentors. It was good to go. I get a call from Scott. He's like, okay, here's the way this is going to work. We want you to submit everything, and we're going to present it to the hiring committee. And if they like it, you essentially are going to get the job. If if they don't, they might do an interview. And if they really don't, then we'll do a search. So, <laughs> So I was like, pins and needles really really nervous and the next call i got was him offering me the job and i just fell into it i mean i was there for four years i put a lot of work in a plane field but yeah it was like just the the stars aligned
1: and yeah but i think um it's a good thing. lesson for you know hopefully you know some younger viewers listening looking for jobs and doing all that is you fell into it but you, if not really i mean you've been putting your time in grinding meeting the like sure. you're, you've kept saying the theme, which I, which as I'm listening, I'm picking up on is making the right connections, kind of shutting up and working, um, you know, not being like too good for any job, like cleaning clubs, doing the range, meeting the people that you have to meet, and obviously making an impression on them where they reach out to you. So yeah, stars align, but it's always like, uh, um, how much of it? I listen to a podcast called how I built this with entrepreneurs. They always ask, um, how much of you, how much of this would you say is because of skill? How much would you, would you say is because of luck? And every answer is always probably a little bit of both, you know what for I mean? For sure. I I mean,
2: right place at the right time. And yeah, for me, you know, I'm, I'm 25, I'm single. I, I can say yes to basically everything. Yeah. And I did. I tried to like, you know, I figured out where my passion was in golf at, about as early as you can like I guess I've met a couple of kids who, who enter the PGM program and they're like, I love the game. I just want to teach. And they know it, whether that lasts, you know, maybe not, but I figured out like my sophomore year, like, okay, this is what I want to do. Uh, one thing I left out is I, I was, uh, I did an internship in the, what's called the golf teaching and research center at Penn state. It's this mm-hmm. like biomechanics lab. It's amazing. They, they're like pioneering Uh, 3d golf measurements sort of the way tpi does yeah and like i learned so much there they launched an online platform learning kind of education thing while i was there and i helped kind of put that together and i was like man this teaching thing's so cool so yeah i i worked hard but i i loved it like i i the old cliche thing you never work a day in in your life you love what sure. you do you know that whole yeah. thing like that that held very true to me and I yeah I, I worked super hard I I just was like I need to be ready if this happens yeah and it it did just a lot sooner than I thought I, the job I have now I figured I might have when I'm 30 or 31 so it was 5 or 6 years early for me but I like you said I I tried to just be a sponge and absorb information and, and improve. And um, if you go work for gym, the mentality of no job is too small is, is gotta be the way you, you live there. Cause I think, you know, I'm a millennial and we get a lot of bad press for all kinds of reasons. But one of them is like, you know, being an we just have access to so much information now that like people feel ready to do these huge jobs and have all this responsibility because they know things. Yeah. Which I felt like I like leaving McLean after the first winter. I was like, oh my god, I know everything. I now I've got it. I figured it all out. And I went to Plainfield again, and this guy books a lesson with me I actually had never met him I'd worked there for two or three years to that point I never met this member and this is one of the first lessons I'd ever really taught and I get in to meet this guy shake his hand and I'm like I just went blank I'm like oh my god I don't know what I'm doing and it was horrible it was a terrible lesson and that happened like a couple more times I'm like what the hell is going on here like I, I know everything yeah, I know it all. <laughs> yeah, this is impossible that I can't teach these people. Like, what is going on? And I'm like, huh? Maybe you do have to like work at this thing. Like yeah. that. There is this like, oh my god, I have to practice this more.
1: Like, have you, you ever seen read it? Like, have you, you ever seen the um, the graph, the Dunning Kruger effect? Have you ever seen that before? No, I don't think so. It's uh, you should look it up. It's it's uh, we've talked about in our team meetings where. Basically, like when you first learn something, that's when you feel the most confident about it. You're at the top of the graph. Yeah. You get more experience. It actually goes down again before it goes up. Right. Now I'm like, I I read something or I go
2: to a, I've got a uh, an online webinar thing, seminar for three days this weekend. Yeah. And like every time I do one of those, I leave thinking, oh my God, I don't know anything. Now it's like the complete opposite. Yeah. Where I go through six months of like, drinking from a fire hose, basically. And I'm like, okay, I know, I know all this stuff now. I can't wait to just impress people with how much I know. And all of a sudden it's like, I Jesus, I can't do any of this. (laughs) It's so much harder to apply. Like, yeah, like what you what you just most recently learned. It's it's amazing. So that was a big realization. And I I'm like, okay, I gotta start doing this more. And sure. I started offering free lessons to friends and my fan obviously my family like they they are now like you know dying for help on their game i've got a net set up in my backyard right now yeah. and the whole family and my girlfriend have all been, you know spending 30 minutes a day out there and i'm trying to keep myself sharp and
1: yeah so teach. let's go into that a little bit so we um hopefully we're recording this i don't even know the date april 22nd we're still in our quarantine hopefully that ends soon when this, as of now you are offering online lessons for people, which I took one of those at where where basically we can uh, submit a down the line video and a face on video. And you, as you talked about before, you know, give people one or two drill drills and tips to do, which I've taken advantage of and I would highly recommend it. Now once things go back and you're at Plainfield are people that aren't members able to schedule lessons with you?
2: Yep. Okay. Yeah. So Plainfield, uh, And actually everywhere I've worked, I've been able to teach non-members if people wanted lessons. Um, So yeah, I I will, I'm hoping to convert some, some of these online clients that are in New Jersey into in-person clients whenever that date comes. Um,
1: And then I just saw that you, new logo yesterday and website. So tell people uh, like, tell where we can find you online or overall people are looking for more information.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Um, so I just launched a new website yesterday called Ryan Um, yeah. you can follow me on Instagram. That's mainly where I'm putting out, uh, content and stuff, a lot of tips and drills and, um, you know, some lesson before and after some things like that. That's Ryan Hager underscore PGA. Yep. Um, and I'm gonna to try to see what this website thing turns into. It's been a goal of mine for a long time to have a website. Um,
1: Nothing like a quarantine to get it done, right? I know,
2: man. It's it's crazy. Like, what I've actually I didn't think I'd be so motivated, but I'm like, man, I finally can do the stuff I've been talking, hoping, about. and planning to do. So I I tried to do a lot of that. I I made uh I made the website. My my girlfriend's actually a graphic designer, so that was hugely Perfect. helpful. She basically built the whole thing and made me a logo and. Um, so I did that. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to stay busy cause I yeah. I have essentially nothing going on. So I'm trying to do as many of those online lessons as I can. I've done a, a decent handful of those. Like I said, I'm teaching all my family in my backyard. Um, trying to, uh, part of the reason we came up here is my parents have like a lot of, they have a full bench press with like 400 pounds of weights in the basement. So I'm actually able to get a good workout in and yeah trying to i'm eating and drinking like crazy but yeah <laughs> but other than that i'm trying to you know, keep myself at least in some kind of physical activity once a day and um golf courses are open up here too which is nice when there's not snow on the snow ground. on the ground we're able to play so i've been trying to play a little bit and um yeah like i said there's a seminar i'm doing this weekend and you can fill your day with a lot it's just yeah. you kind of need the motivation it, yes, it, for sure. it is kind of like I'm sleeping in
1: <laughs> yeah
2: I don't have a lot of motivation to do a lot of stuff but I am trying to do uh, you know something just to stay busy and learn and my you know I told my my boss when we closed the club like this sucks but I do plan to come out of this like a bigger and better version of myself I'm trying to you know create a brand that's the whole point of a sure of a website and I'm trying to make more content to put online to engage with people. Um, that's probably been the coolest part about these online lessons is meeting some new people and, and mm-hmm. learning how to help somebody without being there in person. I've done one or two FaceTime lessons with some members from Plainfield and then one or two with, you know, random followers. One of them's from, uh, somewhere in like Wisconsin like cool funny enough so yeah it's just it's been really interesting to learn yeah kind of how that world does things because that's such a huge industry now is is like this whole social media and online platform that i i i mean i had a presence on instagram but i've never turned it into anything and this now i was forced to so yes that's great that was a fast learning curve for sure it's It's well, that's been different. awesome, man.
1: I, I, um, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and we'll put all of your links and everything in the show notes. And, um, we hope that we can get back to to normal soon. And hopefully when we're back in New Jersey, we can actually meet face to face in person. I know I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. Thank you so much.
2: Absolutely. Stay safe, safe, yeah. everyone.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the stay healthy, New Jersey podcast brought to you by strive to move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash our services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries and crossfit injuries these ebooks will provide you with free expert advice tips and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home just visit strivetomovecom to our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox we also offer free no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to new jersey residents just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the talk to the doctor first button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time
0: on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.